I just uh, was speechless last uh, service, and I am again. Uh, I want to thank the men for that, using their gifts and talents to serve the Lord. How powerful is that? I'd love to hear that all day. So let me pray for us this morning. Father God, we do thank you for our men, Father, who can sing, who can use their gifts to serve you. Oh, Father, thank you for them. Thank you for gifting them in such a way to really make a sweet sound. Father, we thank you for them. I pray that for the rest of our church as well, that we find and understand our own gifts to be able to apply them and use them for you in the same manner. Father, we do thank you for our church, the 20 years that we've been celebrating as we look back and as we look ahead as well. We thank you for it, and I thank you for your word that teaches us as we can apply our own church's situation to the young church in action in Acts. So we thank you for that. I pray that you speak through me now. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart. Father, and as we hear your word proclaim that we won't just be hearers of the word, we'll be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. Obviously, as Pastor Barry said, we had a wonderful meeting. I want to thank everybody again. It is wonderful and an honor to be here. Um, thank you. Yes. It's wonderful and so fitting as we, you know, we look back our 20 years celebration, we look ahead. And it's wonderful and an honor to be here and part of that. Part of the next 20, 30, 40 years as, uh, as uh, God's hands really is on this church. And it's, it's, it's wonderful as we've been celebrating over the last number of weeks things that are really integral to our church. You know, last week we looked at uh, Silver Ring thing. A week before we were looking at Urban Impact. And this week we're celebrating the, the campers and, and the camp. And let me just say again, if you are one of those uh, leaders in the camp that helped this week, we want to thank you. I know that it was tiring. I saw many of your faces on Friday afternoon and you could barely walk out of, out of this place. But for all those who helped set up, clean up, and uh, run games and snacks and all kinds of other events that were going on here. Thank you. Thank you for using your gifts. It's wonderful. As I was here yesterday, the facilities guys were talking about how you know, we, you know, we can't get the paint out of the sidewalk out front. And I said, well, that's a good problem to have because that means we've got kids running around here. And this church is really being used. There was dirt all throughout this whole place, finger marks all over the walls. And uh, it was just wonderful that that many kids were here. It really is exciting. And not only that, that hearts and lives were changed. Hearts and lives were changed. One of the best uh, things as we look at this passage here, you know, we, we encounter Philip and the Ethiopian, uh, Ethiopian eunuch, a one-on-one kind of conversation. One of the best things that's fitting, and every time I see the video, I'm really touched by it, that camp video. One of the pictures in that camp video is uh, Sarah Capello, who is our youth ministry, wonderful youth ministry assistant. And she's kneeling on the ground praying for one of those kids. And it just, it hit me so hard because that's what it's all about. It's the one-on-one, the changed lives that come out of that camp. So again, thank you. Thank you for helping. Thank you for serving. And that's what we're looking at this week. And I think we can apply a lot of what we see here in this passage to our own church, Young Church in Action. You know, for the past few weeks, we've been kind of talking about some uh, big events that have happened in the Young Church. If you remember Pentecost a few weeks ago, and 3,000 came to Christ. And then a few weeks ago, we looked at Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, and they were uh, being told to be silenced in their message, and yet 5,000 come to know uh, Christ. Time and time again, big events happen, and many people come to know Christ. And we come to this encounter, and it's much, much different, isn't it? It's a one-on-one encounter. Philip 
and an Ethiopian eunuch. And what's, what's amazing to me as we look at the church, and many of us have stories of how we came to know Christ, how we put our faith and trust in him. And for, for some of us, it happened at big events, maybe some kind of rally or, or some kind of conference. But for many of us, I'm willing to bet, and I've talked to many of you, and hear your stories, it's, it's really the one-on-one. It's somebody came and told you about the love of Christ. Maybe you were dealing with some things, or maybe you had some things going on in your life, or maybe a family member, or a friend, or neighbor. Somebody came up to you and told you about Christ. And that's what's powerful about this encounter right here. It's about personal evangelism. Personal evangelism. And that's what we can apply to our own church. You see, that's how it grows. You know, we often think that the church grows because of these big events. And they are wonderful. And people do come to Christ. But it's really the one-on-one encounters that we had. Like what happened at camp. Yes, it was a big encounter. But it was one-on-one. Those leaders with all those students witnessing. Telling them about Christ. That folks came. And that's how the church grows. And that's really what we can apply to our own church here today, our young church in action. You know, just as a a way of background, hopefully you have your Bibles and you can turn there with us. It's also in your service sheets. You know, we see this encounter. It's it's Philip and the Ethiopian, one-on-one. And we don't know much about Philip, but we do know something about the Ethiopian. We know that he's a eunuch and understand that the eunuchs, he was probably forbidden to worship in the, in the temple at the time because they weren't uh, uh, castrated people, weren't allowed in Deuteronomy to uh, worship in the temple. So we know that about him. We also know that uh, he's in charge of all the treasury. So he's a, he's a powerful person. He's a powerful man. He probably has servants kind of helping him as he is the treasury to the queen of the Ethiopians. The big other thing that you need to, we need to point out is that where he's from. He's from Ethiopia. Ethiopia. That's also known as Cush in the Old Testament. Okay? It's uh, what is also known as Nubia. It's the part of southern Egypt or northern Sudan. Well, you may think, well, why is that important? Well, understand that back then at this time, the, the Greeks and the Romans really thought of, of, of that place, Egypt, S- Sudan, as reaching the outermost limits of the known world. Because it was just so far away. And so what we see here is really a fulfilling of the the commission that's in Acts chapter 1-8. Where it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. And so right here, right here from Acts chapter 1-8, the Great Commission, we see it unfolding. It's going to the outer ends of the earth. It's powerful, and it happened because of a one-on-one encounter. And so I think that we can apply this because oftentimes I think as a young church in action, we wonder, well, how can, how can we be that young church in action? Yes, we have a church that we have campers coming. We have all these wonderful events, and there's many events coming up in the fall. But how can God really use us? And we can see that it's the power of one-on-one evangelism. So, so the question as we look at this passage today is what can we learn? What can we learn about personal evangelism? What can we learn about personal evangelism? First, we understand that witness as obedience. Witness as obedience. Look at the passage there in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip was obedient. He got up and went. 
Understand, this is a very strange request, though. There's two roads that go from Jerusalem to Gaza. One of them isn't used very much. This one is the desert road. Also note the, time, the place he goes, south. That's another Greek word for mesembria, which not only refers to location direction, but it could also mean location in time as well. So, or another translation is at noon. So if that is the translation... Understand that's important too, because when you say, well, Jared, why is that important? Because I say to you is, well, who would travel a desert road at noon? Who would travel a desert road at noon? Philip got up and fulfilled this request. He was obedient. We also understand that apart from the Spirit's orchestration of this event, this would never have occurred. This would never have occurred if the Spirit hadn't orchestrated this event from the get-go. And that should give us boldness, church, that the Spirit orchestrates events in our lives. He does. And it should give us an, an, an empowerment to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where maybe your schedule changed or you had to take a different bus or you had to sit next to somebody uh, different or you find an old friend or you, you run into an old family friend who maybe is having some trouble in life. And you wonder... This is just orchestrated by God. And then you begin to talk with them and ask them questions. And you go, well, how did this ever happen? This would never have happened if it wasn't for the Spirit's orchestration. About two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Jamie and myself were going to a, uh, we're gonna talk with Kathy Klein, our missions director, and we were going to have a missions meeting. And it, this meeting kept getting changed and pushed off because we have other things going on. We were going to meet over in the farmhouse where my office was. And we decided we're going to go meet down here uh, later in the day. And not... No sooner did Jamie and I uh, go into that office, but we had a knock on the door. And it was, a, it was a gentleman. Jamie came out. It was a gentleman who traveled two and a half hours that day to come to our church. He looked a little disheveled, looked a little bit uh, like he was um, kind of hurting. And he felt the call to come to Christ church. He didn't know why, but he felt the call to come to Christ church and walk in our doors. And Pastor Jamie immediately got up where they went out and they, they started talking. And the, and the, the gentleman asked Jamie, I, I've kind of lived a, a really bad life. And I understand that I, I need to turn from my ways. I need to give my life to Christ. How do I do that? That would have never have occurred. We would have never have run into that man if that meeting didn't get changed and we were downstairs. Pastor Jamie was able to lead that man to Christ. It was awesome. Right here in our church. But it was because we were obedient, obedient, listening for the call. You know, a lot of folks will say, well, you know, Jared, I don't have that boldness. I don't have like Philip had where, you know, we hear these audible voices. We don't see these flashing lights to say, hey, go talk to this person. Go witness to that person over there. And I have to tell you that it's a matter of listening to the Spirit and follow His prompting. Paul says, live by following the Spirit. The true children of God are those who let God's Spirit lead in them. You know, we often have to, we have to realize that part of boldness happens after we take the first steps of obedience. The boldness that come to witness often happens after we take that step of obedience. You know, if you look at this passage we're in, in Acts 8, notice when, and if you have your Bibles, Acts 9. What happens in Acts chapter 9 is Saul's conversion. You remember Saul's conversion. He's on the road to Damascus. Saul's a terrorist. He's on the road to Damascus. God shows up. And then what does he do? He, he becomes blind. And then God goes and tells Ananias, go. Go to find Saul who's blind. 
The only thing Ananias knew about Saul is that he was kind of a terrorist of the day. He was the one killing Christians. Notice that God never told Ananias that, that Saul had been converted. He just said, go. I can't imagine what was going through his mind when he walked down the road. i got to go find Saul? He's a terrorist. But he went. He went. And he led him to Christ. Same happened with Philip. Prompted by the Holy Spirit. That boldness to say, you know what? Angel said, go to that desert. Go to that place. It's a strange request. It's different. It's out of the norm. Philip went. He had obedience. Then the boldness happened. The release of the boldness happens. When we were in uh, Israel uh, a few weeks back, uh, about a month or so ago, we, were, uh, we had this opportunity, a wonderful opportunity, to go explore Herod's temple down below. It was kind of, you would go down below on the bottom of uh, the, uh, Jerusalem. And uh, they were doing some excavating down there. And uh, we had a tour guide, a Jewish tour guide named David. And uh, even he joked, of course my name's David, I'm Jewish. I, but he was a wonderful man. Wonderful man. Very intelligent. Wonderful man. And he was talking to us all about the history of this place and what had happened there. And I remember at the very end of his tour, he said, you know, thank you very much, you know, for being on tour with us. And I remember I was kind of in the back of the group. The group was kind of in front of me, and he was here, and John Guest was right there. And as soon as he said, thanks for being on tour, uh, this tour this afternoon, John Guest went up to him and put his arm around David and said, David, what's it going to take for you to come to know Jesus? Powerful. Powerful. Right then and there, the prompting to go and talk to David, our Jewish tour guide. You know what's amazing about that, though, and as this leads to what's happening here, is that David was much different than we were. He was a Jewish man living in Israel. Here we are, uh, Protestant Christians living in America. Here we have the same encounter. Philip, who is a Jewish man approaching an Ethiopian eunuch. So it leads to point number two. Not only do we need to be obedient, but we need to witness across cultures too. We need to witness across cultures. You see, Philip was much different than this man. Much, much different than the Ethiopian. He couldn't have been further from him, actually. But yet he had the boldness to go up and talk to him. Talk to him about Christ. You know, one of the things that, uh, that's really a hot topic today in ministry is contextualization. I had a doctoral class a few, uh, uh, about two years ago. It was called Cross-Cultural Contextualization and Evangelism. And one of the things we were talking about is how do you witness across cultures? How do you witness to folks differently in Asia than you would uh, in the inner city of America or in South America or wherever? And I, it was a room full of about 40 um, folks that I remember. And some of us were pastors. Some of us were professors. Some of us were missionaries. And I remember the first few days, it actually kind of got a little heated in there in that room because folks would say, listen, your illustration of that certain thing wouldn't apply in this culture. And somebody would say, well, yeah, but you talking about Christ in this way, that doesn't make sense in this inner city culture here and, and all these different things, or that wouldn't make sense in my church or how you present the gospel, that, 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 that would never work. And I remember the professor stopping us uh, midway through this week and said, you guys you have to be careful. Because there's a danger in making this so complicated that it doesn't, that evangelism wouldn't cross cultural bounds. And that happens a lot, that we think, well, you know what, that's not going to apply to them, or the message of Jesus Christ, they wouldn't understand that, and so, or they're much different than I am. 
They don't come from the same background that I do. They don't have the same economic status that I have. They're a different race. They're a different ethnicity. Maybe they're a different religion. You think that will never apply. So we look for people very similar to us, don't we? We have to understand that the word of God applies all over the world, no matter where we are. Christ dying on the cross applies to every person in every culture. And so we need to have that boldness to say, you know what, they're different. They may not be like me. They may be different. They may come from a different background than I am. But I am going to go up and share them about the love of Jesus. And that's exactly what happened to us when we were in Israel. We cross cultural bounds. And we do that, why? Number three is because hearts are really prepared by God. We understand that hearts are prepared by God. You know, when Philip discovered that the Ethiopian had been prepared by God, he already, he already was. He was already reading God's word. The Spirit already prompted Philip to go to that desert road. The Spirit already prompted the Ethiopian to be at that place at that time. Hearts were already prepared by God. That should give us an even greater boldness, church, to say, you know what? I'm just being obedient to tell folks about the love of Jesus. That's all I need to do. The Spirit's going to convict them. They're the ones that are going to move in their hearts. There was a story about uh, Leighton Ford, who was a young pastor, who was uh, witnessing to a man, a hardened criminal in jail. And the, he ended up leading the man to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And afterwards, the, the criminal said to the pastor, I'm going to call you uh, the 25th man. And the pastor said, what, what, is that? what do you mean? Why am I the 25th man? He said, because there's been 24 other people that came and told me about the love of Jesus before you. And all those people talking were starting to convict my heart. But you were the one that led me to Christ. But it was the working of all 24 other people. You see, we have to understand the hearts are really prepared by God, aren't they? They have to be. They have to be. When we look at this story about Philip uh, and the Ethiopian, what's he doing? He's reading scripture and he doesn't understand what's being read. And of course he doesn't. As it says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the person without the Spirit does not accept things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. John 6.44 also says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. So therefore, it's almost ludicrous to think that we have some kind of amazing power to lead people to Christ, that we have the the ability to transfer hearts. That's the Spirit's working. Spirit was working on the Ethiopian. The Spirit is working on the people that he's drawing you to. Our job is just to be obedient. One theologian said, "In in evangelism, the Holy Spirit is on center stage. If the disciple teaches, it's because the Spirit teaches the disciple." If the listener is convicted, it's because the Spirit has penetrated. If the listener is converted, it's by the transforming power of the Spirit. If the new believer matures, it's because the Spirit makes him or her competent. So, we need to be obedient. We need to witness across cultures. And then we have to understand that hearts are prepared by God. And, you know, we've been talking a lot of the past few weeks about uh, how the church grew. How the gospel of Jesus Christ was presented and people grew People came to know Christ and the church grew as a result. But the question is, is how? Some of us are wondering, well, how do I do that? How do I actually tell somebody about the love of Jesus? How do I share Christ with them? And I think this encounter is so powerful for us because it shows us how to do it as well. So how do we do it? First off, number four, we start with their questions. We start with their questions. 
You see, Philip started with where the Ethiopian was. What did the Ethiopian say? He's reading a passage of scripture that he doesn't understand. So the Philip runs up to the chariot and heard the man reading, it says in verse 30. The prophet says, do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I? He says in verse 31. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Then Philip gave the Ethiopian another opportunity, didn't he? In verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? You see, this was a confusing passage, and maybe it was. There was a lot of, uh, when we talk about he, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. Some people thought that, that Isaiah was talking about himself. Some folks thought that, maybe, that he was talking about the nation of Israel. Philip knew he was talking about Christ, lamb before the slaughter. But he used the question and started there. He started there. You know, there's often people that are really struggling in life that have questions, that are wondering about life and self. My encouragement for you is to start with their questions. We have to always look for those opportunities to share the gospel. I remember, again, being back on the Israel trip, being on the bus with a, with a gentleman who, who wasn't really sure about wasn't really sure about why he was even on the trip. And I remember sitting by him on the bus, and he, he was kind of on a sightseeing tour. And he didn't really understand the significance of these places that we visited. Church of the Ascension, Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. What happened there? What happened on the Sea of Galilee? Where did, what happened at Jesus' hometown? What happened at this miracle? Why is that significant? It was a great opportunity for us to really get to know one another so that I could begin talking to him. I started with his questions. You know, a lot of times people uh, in life don't think that they have a felt need about something. And we need to start there. People do have needs. People are hurting. Divorce, uh, marriages are falling apart. Children have needs. We all have different uh, you know, issues going on. And my encouragement is we often have to start where people's felt needs are and then take them to the place where their true need is. Jesus Christ. We have to start where, where, we, we, where they think that they should go, but we need to end up taking them where they need to go. Philip started right with the questions. That's how we start. You know, there's going to be, as we look at the, the culture around us, the decision just made by the Supreme Court, there's going to be a lot of questions that people have, a lot of concerns that people have. My encouragement as you talk to folks, start with those questions. Start with the felt needs that they have and lead them to the spiritual need that they need. We have to start with their questions. Not only that, we need to witness based on Scripture, number five. If we start with their questions, then we need to witness based on Scripture. Verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. It's amazing when we're talking to folks about the power that comes from the Scriptures. Scriptures speak for themselves, church. We could talk all day about what God's done with, to us in our lives, how our lives have changed, but we have to go back to the Scriptures. That's how we witness. We go back to the scriptures. You know, and again, as we've been talking about here, I, I've, I've recognized this past week that maybe some of us don't even know where to start. We say, well, Jared, you say, you know, witness based on scripture. Here's the scriptures. Where do I start here? Where do I start? I have no idea. When you say witness based on scripture, where do I even start? And so I wasn't going to include this in the notes, but I thought, you know, this is actually might be helpful for many people. There are seven verses that I always utilize, and I encourage you to write these down that really go through how to really witness to somebody, 
how to witness to somebody. They're very basic scriptures. Only seven verses that you would need to memorize in order to make a great case for bringing someone to Christ. First on, Romans 3.23. You'll recognize a lot of these. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when I'm talking to somebody about Christ, that's, where we're, uh, that's always a scripture we start with. Listen, you understand that you're a sinner and you'll fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 is the next one. For the wages of sin is death. Because we all have sinned, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Say, so, okay, well the wages of sin is death, so now what? John 3.3. 3. John 3.3 3 is the next one. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's John 3.3. 3. Okay, so now I need to be born again, so what do I do? How do I do that? John 4.16. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you're saying that you, you, you can't do it based on works? No, I'm saying that you only can do it through Christ. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Number five, Romans 10, 9 through 11. So what do we do? Well, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is, and it is with your mouth. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. So then we would do number six, 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And finally, I always use the, uh, the verse Revelations 3.20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, that person and they with me. Those scriptures are the ones that I've memorized and I've utilized in my own time of personal one-on-one evangelism. I know that folks have uh, written, uh, written some of these verses down. They keep them in their Bibles. They've memorized them over time. But that's how we move through. That's how we use scripture. But we've got to keep in mind as we witness through scripture, we have to keep in mind that also that Jesus is the theme. Jesus is the theme. And that's important to recognize. We say, well, of course Jesus is the theme. That's what we're doing. And we're, we're pointing them to the cross. Well, I want to encourage you to make sure that you keep in mind that Jesus is really the theme. Because a lot of folks will say, they'll say, well, I shared my testimony with somebody. And I have to say, testimony is good, but that's different than evangelism. You see, as Roy Clement says, testimony is telling people what Jesus has done for me in my personal experience. But evangelism is telling people what Jesus has done for history. Testimony is telling what Jesus has done for me. Evangelism is telling people what Jesus has done for history. Well, what's the difference? Well, I can go up to somebody and say, listen, now that I have, now that I have Jesus in my life, I have, I have this wonderful peace about me. And I don't have to worry about things. I know that he is in control. Well, folks from other religions will go, well, wait a second, I have that kind of same peace in my own life. That's your testimony. That's the result. Evangelism is saying, you know what? Jesus died for you. Jesus died on the cross for you to forgive you of your sins so that you can have a relationship with him. We make him our Lord and Savior. See, that's what evangelism is. So we've got to always point to the cross. That's one of John Guest's favorite uh, sayings. He, he says it to me all the time. We always point to the cross. Always point to the cross. And that's what we make sure that we do. Every time that we're preaching up here, we're always pointing to the cross. Whoever's preaching in Wilson Hall, we're always pointing to the cross. When we're talking about it with people in counseling, Pastor Barry does counseling all the time, it's we're pointing people to the cross. We have to. 
We have to, Jesus is the theme, so we have to point to the cross. Finally, not only do we look at scripture, we recognize that Jesus is the theme, but we need to aim at a response. We need to aim at a response. As you look at verse 35, it says, Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop at the chariot. And both Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. You know, we aren't told how Philip got him to this point. But we understand that it's implied that Philip got him to that point. Shared Jesus with him, that this Ethiopian eunuch recognized his sin, confessed it, made Jesus the Lord of his life, and asked for forgiveness. And, and then he wanted to be baptized as a, as a symbol of, of, of becoming new. You know, we often have a, a thing in our society where talking about Christ in a dialogue is okay. We live in a very pluralistic society, and people will say, well, I had a conversation about, with somebody about Jesus. And well, that's good, I'm going to encourage you that dialogue with somebody isn't always enough. We need to aim at a response. Aim at a response. Because dialogue by itself, while that's helpful, while it's fruitful, we need to aim at a response. And I'm going to encourage you, you look at those same scriptures I gave you. That's how we aim at a response. So I'll ask people, based on Romans 3.23, all have sinned. What does that mean to you? I recognize that I'm a sinner. And Romans 6.23, well, that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you? Yes. So what do I need to do? I need to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that he was raised from the dead. And I will be saved. Are you willing to surrender your life? Yes, I'm willing to surrender my life based on 2 Corinthians 5. That I should no longer live for myself. Are you ready to invite Jesus into your heart? Yes. What, what happens when we pray in Revelations? It says Jesus is here. He, I stand at the door and when you knock I listen. That's how we move people. That's how we aim at a response. It's finally, one of the things that, you know, as we've encountered in this is that we need to celebrate this. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch obviously was a changed man. We don't know what happened to him. Uh, it doesn't say in the scriptures what happened to him. The father, uh, church, early church father Irenaeus said that, uh, that he was the first missionary to Ethiopia. Boy, that's powerful. If you think about that, that one encounter, and then he went out and was the missionary, if that's true, to all those other people. That's powerful. And what did he do when he left? It says he, he went away rejoicing, as it says. It says the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Oh, church, we need to rejoice. We do. We need to rejoice when people come to know faith, when people come in faith and know the Lord as their personal Savior. We need to rejoice in that. These campers up here this week, many, 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 many kids came to know the love of the Lord Jesus. Many rededicated their lives to Him. We need to rejoice in that. Last week here in the service, there was 13 folks that came to know the Lord for the very first time. We need to rejoice in that like the eunuch did. We may never know what happens to those people. We may never know what they go on to do or become or who they will end up witnessing to. But we do know that we're called to be obedient. So my question for you this morning is, are you listening? Are you listening for the Spirit's leading? Are you listening? Are you looking for opportunities? Opportunities people around you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Are you obedient to that call? Are you obedient to that call? You know, we may run somebody at the end of church today and say hello to them for the first time. Or you may be thinking about somebody that you sit on the bus with or somebody at work or a family member, friend, maybe your own spouse. And you feel that nudge even right now. I'm going to encourage you. That's, that's the Spirit nudging you. Hearts are already being prepared. He's orchestrating the event. He's just calling us to be obedient. That's my prayer for us, church. That's how the church grows. One person at a time. He's, are you being obedient? Are you listening for the call? The Bible being written today, I wonder, maybe that would be our names written in there in Acts chapter 8, of being obedient to that call, following the Spirit's leading. That's my prayer for us. Let me pray for us as we close. God, thank you for today. Father, I thank you and praise you for what we can learn from your word this morning about personal one-on-one evangelism. Father, thank you. Thank you for empowering us to be missionaries wherever we go. Thank you for the, being the one who you send your spirit to convict hearts. Father, I pray for the people in our church that we are be, will be obedient to the call, the nudging on our lives from you to go and talk to those about you, your love, and what you did for us, sending your son to die for us on the cross. Thank you for that. Help us have that same conviction, that same determination. And I ask all this. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.